kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lots of feel good sounds. Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Chits. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. So this is the 100th episode of the Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase podcast. I have to say, I'm quite frankly, a little shocked that I've actually been doing this for 100 episodes, and I'm thrilled that... It's still going strong after all this time. So when, when contemplating what to do for the 100th episode, I felt like I should do something. Uh, I thought about doing just a Best of Betty, um, just highlights from all the 100 episodes. But I thought, you know, people who have been listening the whole time, it, it might kind of feel like a uh, rerun. I don't want to do a rerun for the 100th episode. So... I decided to sort of do a compromise because I thought new listeners would probably really enjoy some of the best stories from past episodes because they haven't heard those. So I figured I'd, I'd do a mashup. <laughs> so I have what would be a whole new episode, the same length of a normal episode. And then I've added in, mashed up, doing a special like extravaganza. <laughs> so it's a longer episode. So we have new stories and best of stories all mixed in. It's kind of like a uh, bonus feature. <laughs> so we have the old and the new and a lot of stories from my recent trip to Greece and uh, a lot of the stories I actually recorded in Greece. So it's a hundred episodes. Yay! from Dallas to uh, Honolulu. And uh, somewhere before they started descending into Honolulu, the uh, one of the flight attendants came up with a camcorder and said, you know, I, I know you guys aren't supposed to do this, but can you get some pictures of the island for us on your way in? So the co-pilot took, uh, took the camera from her, and they got a plan up. And uh, on the way in, he starts taking pictures out the window of the different islands and naming them. And then as he pans across, the captain is up in the seat with his pants down around his ankles, full moon. He zooms in on the full moon, leaves it there for a good long 10 seconds or so. And when they land and taxi back in, he get, they give the camera back to the flight attendant. That night over beers, they had a lot of laughs. And were thinking of some more things they could do with their camera. So the next, the next day, they were getting ready to push back on their way back to Dallas. And they called her up there to the cockpit, and they said, Why don't you give us your camera? We're taking off the other direction. We'll get some pictures of the other side of the island. And she says, Oh, that wasn't mine. That was a passenger's. <laughs> So I ended up going on a two-week trip through Greece, including Macedonia. And, you know, I have this long list of places that I want to travel to. And some of the reasons that I want to travel to them are random and silly, maybe a little nutty. <laughs> but there, there are certain places. I, I like the names of certain places, so I really want to go there. But uh, I think I mentioned in the podcast before that I... I used to go to a summer camp for underprivileged children. It cost uh, $50 for two weeks. Can you imagine anything costing $50 for two weeks? But it was, um, it was a, a camp for poorer kids. And 
Therefore, we didn't have a lake and we didn't have horses. And most of the entertainment came from the counselors and, you know, campfires and camp songs and skits. And it was just a wonderfully creative environment that I just flourished in. And when I got to be 15, I was too young to be a counselor, but you could be a counselor in training. So I think I mentioned this before, but my first job, my very first job at 15 (laughs) was the dining hall stewardess, which I do think is ironic considering that ended up being my job for life, (laughs) being a stewardess. But my first job was that dining hall stewardess at Camp Rolling Hills in the mountains of West Virginia. And I loved that camp. And uh, one of my favorite camp songs, it really wasn't a camp song in in that it was a uh, call and response. So, um... The camp counselor in the front of the campfire would get up there. And I wonder if any of you know this camp song because I've mentioned it to a few people and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but the, the, the camp counselor would get up there and say, one hen. And then all the campers would go, one hen. And then he'd say, one hen, two ducks. And the campers would go, one hen, two ducks. Then he'd go, one hen, two ducks, three squawking geese. And they go, one hen, two ducks, three squawking geese. And this would go all the way to 10. I'm not going to do the whole call and response or else it'll take the whole podcast. But I will, I, I want to just give you the whole list of the 10 things that all the campers would have to repeat. And they get more difficult as you go along. So it's one hen, two ducks, three squawking geese, four limerick oysters, five corpulent porpoises, six pairs of Don Alverzo's tweezers. And we always said it that way for some reason. Six pairs of Don Alverzo's tweezers. No idea who that person is. 7,000 Macedonians dressed in full battle array. Eight brass monkeys from the ancient sacred crypts of Egypt. Nine apathetic, sympathetic, diabetic old men on roller skates with marked propensity toward procrastination and sloth. And 10 lyrical, spherical, diabolical denizens of the deep who all stall around the corner of the quo of the quay of the quivery all at the same time. (laughs) That's so silly, but I loved it. I love silly things. And the one line in this camp song, 7,000 Macedonians dressed in full battle array. I remember being a 10-year-old kid in this camp in West Virginia thinking, 7,000 Macedonians dressed in full battle array. That sounds fantastic and exotic, and I someday want to go to Macedonia. (laughs) And I got to go last month, because Macedonia is basically northern Greece. So I got to go to Macedonia. Didn't see the 7,000 Macedonians dressed in full battle array, but I got to fulfill my 10-year-old summer camp dream of going there. And actually, I actually... um. I Googled, I'll tell you, it's an amazing world we live in now that I just Googled one hen, two ducks. (laughs) And I got right away uh, this camp song, but it turns out it's not a camp song. It says, this is called the announcer's test. It originated at Radio Central New York in the early 1940s as a cold reading given to prospective radio talent to demonstrate their speaking ability. I just think that all is kind of funny that uh, my camp song is actually connected with radio, which is connected with the podcast. And I think I messed up that reading. Anyway, I also, I took a lot of bus rides on my trip to Greece. I I traveled all over and I, I sometimes took four bus rides in one day just to get to certain places I really wanted to go to. And so I was on one of those bus rides. I kind of thought, well, I can sort of summarize my trip to Greece in the same sort of list as one hen, two ducks. And it's also sort of like a, a partridge in a pear tree, which is sort of apropos for this Christmas season. So my trip to Greece included one cute guy, two fairies, 3,000-step fortresses, four yummy ouzos, five moussakas, six lettuceless Greek salads, seven plane rides, eight monasteries perched on giant rocks, nine sleep-inducing bus rides, and ten awe-inspiring ancient ruins. We were um, in the air, flying between um, L.A. and Sacramento, I think it was, and we had a medical emergency, and um, the fellow that was having the problem 
apparently was having a um, seizure. But he was acting very strange. I mean, he was, he tried to put oxygen on him and he was trying to grab the mask, the tubing, and stick it up into the sidewall lighting area and acted very strange. And he kind of just kind of passed out a little bit. So we asked for if there was any medical, um, a doctor or a medical person on board. And she was a doctor, she was from France. And she said that she was a doctor in, in France and so kind of looked at her her documentation and we figured that she was a doctor. So he, anyways, he's laying there and, and he's she's pinching his ear. To, to, and she said, this is the, the doctor. The doctor is pinching his ear, his earlobe. And really pinching it hard. And she said, this is a good way to see if they're conscious or not. So anyways, we, he revives himself and we decide we, we're going to make an emergency landing and get him down have the paramedics make the flight. So the paramedics come on. They we deplane everybody. Paramedics come on, and they they ask him his name. You know, um, do you know what day it is? Da 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 da. He says, "How are you feeling?" He says, "I'm feeling fine, but my ear really hurts." <laughs> <laughs> we'd, we had long layovers, so we'd go out and have a beer afterwards, and. Uh, the second night, I was out with it. Well, the first night, we didn't do anything. second night, I met him, and he, he drinks a lot of beer. I mean, he seems fine, but he drinks right. a lot of beer. So he was telling me the next day when we were flying, he said, you know, the downside of drinking a lot of beer is you got to get up in the middle of the night and, you know, go to the bathroom. He said, and we're in different hotel rooms all the right. time. So trying to remember where the bathroom is can be a little confusing. So he said, I had this great idea. I'm going to turn the light on in the bathroom and close the door, and then if i got to get up, I'll just find the light under the door, and I'll open the door and go in there. So he said, so I woke up one night, looked around, saw the light under the door, opened the door, stepped in, closed the door, <laughs> and I'm standing out in the hallway. And he goes, and I sleep in the nude. So, so, so he goes, I go down to the co-pilot's room at 2 in the morning and start banging on the door. <laughs> Hey, let me in. And here's this. I don't think so. <laughs> he says, come on, it's me. He goes, yeah, I can see that. So he opens the door just enough to hand him a towel. He says, here, put that on. And then they called security, and they said, we need you to bring a key up to this room. And he goes, well, how do we know it's yours? <laughs> he goes, you got to just trust me on this. <laughs> let me in. I'll show you some ID. So, so he let him in. He doesn't do that anymore. I'm in Medioria, Greece, and I'm visiting these monasteries that are built on these gigantic rocks, and the monks would build them up there so they could be safe because no one else could get up there, and they would, at first they got up there with ladders, and then they got up, they would hoist the monks up in a net. And I also read that um, some of the monasteries are all women, and they, they do a, um, a chime, called vespers uh it's like a call to god or a, a call away from sin and i was getting close to this monastery and i started hearing the chimes and i was like it's it's the vespers listen and then i looked down and saw cows <laughs> it's cowbells not <laughs> not nuns doing vespers <laughs> Cowbells. I'm out of breath because I just hiked up another monastery, but I think, I think these are the actual Vespers, not cowbells. This comes 
comes from a listener named Chris, and she wrote to me that early in the year 2000, myself and our two children were returning from a flight from Lambert Field in St. Louis to Los Angeles. We'd been visiting relatives, and as happy as we were to visit, it'd be a lie to say we weren't also excited about going home. So on the flight, on the way home, the seating chart had me and my son sitting closest to the window, and there was one seat left on the aisle, and my husband sat directly in front of us with our daughter. My son was reading a book. Well, actually, he was reading the Encyclopedia of Animals. The man who just sat down next to my son asked what he was reading. And that was it. I heard less than three words from my son for the next hour of the flight. They were burning through the pages of this book, and the guy seemed really knowledgeable. Well, an hour into the flight, which was a night flight, my son decided he wanted to go to sleep. So he leaned his head over on my lap, but his feet were really jammed into the middle seat. So without fanfare or a word, this very nice gentleman grabbed our son's shoes and plopped them into his own lap so that her son could lay down flat and sleep easier. I was very thankful and told him he he was going way above and beyond. So we land in LAX and start packing to get off the plane. And this man says to my son, Jake, uh, give me your book. And he whipped out a pen from his own overhead luggage and wrote, Animals Rule. Good on you for learning early. Steve Irwin. See, you never know who you're going to sit next to on a plane. That story just touched me so much because just in case there's anybody out there who doesn't know, Steve Irwin would become extremely famous, so well-loved, and will always be missed. He was the crocodile hunter. Back in the old days, you land in Chicago at O'Hare, and it's one thing to land on the runway in bad weather and all that stuff, but it's another thing to get from the runway to the gate. They've got all these crazy taxiways with crazy names. They've improved it somewhat. They've streamlined it, and they have standard taxi procedures, so you're aware of it. But back at this time, as soon as you clear the runway and you call for a taxi, they gave you this big, long litany of taxiways that you... So he said, they clear the runway, and I say, uh... 1148, we're clear runway, uh, 32 left, going to gate Lima 6. And I go, Roger, take the cargo wedge stub jog inner outer parallel, blah, 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 blah. And the co-pilot had to be there with a pen ready to write all this stuff down because the guy wanted to read back, you know. So anyway, he goes, uh, Roger, cargo stub wedge jog inner, blah, 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 you know, reads it all back to him. He tells me right behind him, Aeromexico clears the runway. Now, Aeromexico typically, you know, and part of it's a language barrier. I'm sure they have some articulate pilots over there. But because of the language barrier, a lot of times they get an instruction, all you hear them say is Royer. They say Royer instead of Roger because they can't pronounce their G's. Their G's are kind of silent, so they always go Royer. So anyway, Aeromexico clears the runway right behind him. Uh, Chicago ground, uh, Aeromexico uh, 148, we clear the runway 32 left, going gate Lima 4. So, uh, excuse the uh, lousy accent here. So they go, uh, Roger, Mexico, take the inner outer parallel jog stub, you know, blah, 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 blah. So Mexico comes back and goes, Royer. But that's all he said, you know. And, and of course, the ground controller wanted the full readback. So he goes, well, Roger, what, Mexico? And he thinks for a second, he goes, Royer, doyer. <laughs> okay, so I'm sitting in Meteora. How do you say it? Meteora. Meteora. Everything I say, I, I pronounce it a little wrong because I don't really know how no, you say it. Good. But okay, but how do you say the name of your wonderful restaurant? Paramithi, Taverna Paramithi in in Meteora, the center of the Calabarca city. Yes, and it's delicious. Anyway, it was just interesting because um, since you're here in a restaurant, you must see people from all over the world. Yes, I'm. Uh, Lucky to find the people uh, when I have time, uh, especially now in the winter time, uh, sitting together and to, uh, listening to the story about where they come from and what they're doing. And uh, I want to say the most strange uh, people are <laughs> good people, of course. It was a strange story they told me about. Okay, so tell me like one or two people that um, were very interesting. I have two. I met one person three days ago. He, the second guy, he made you surprise me. The story he have it. It's the uh, the most. 
I think uh, believable uh, story he uh, I listen in my life. It he come from uh, England first. Uh, he I don't know. He start uh, from 25. Uh, so 25 years old. Old, yeah, 25, 30. I remember he tell me to with bicycle travel all the world. He come to me from three days ago. I was sitting five hours and talk together. Wait, you talked to him for five hours, and he. And he traveled all around the world on a, you don't mean a motorbike, you mean just a bicycle. Bicycle, only bicycle, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, strange. <laughs> and uh, the most strange story, uh, I didn't believe it, I say it's true. He, he crossed all the Sahara, three, four months. He had the bag with water with him, and uh, he, he survived four, hours, four months across all the, from the Sahara in Africa. You know, that's dangerous probably on a bicycle. Oh, very, very dangerous. And I say, how are you bicycling in the sand? And say, yeah. he, he has special uh, wheels and uh, he, he, he has 70, how say, uh, 80 pounds, uh, very heavy bicycle, you know? Oh, and yeah, you're right. That would be, str- it'd be difficult to, to bike in the sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. First, the sand is a little hard in Sahara. It's not so soft, you know, in some places, uh, if they're not. So, so go find the water from the oasis uh, he, with one uh, rip he, from down and, uh, and, and he, ha- he make one program. If he, he lose some days, he's going to die because he didn't yeah. find water. So he crossed, it take him four months to cross over the, the Sahara. And he been mostly all Africa. And uh, he tell me... On a bicycle? Bicycle, yeah. And find the most strange... First, it's nice people, they say. You don't feel uh, d- uh, safe to go find the, all, all, all nice. the... Yeah, all yeah, mostly it's very... Yeah, yeah it's very nice. And uh, he find... The, he sleep in the tent. And uh, one day he, he he woke up because some uh, eons, the you know, the dogs, the eons, uh, oh. some, some eat uh, animals. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. There were ten Ian's around the tent. Ten. And, and the news, the smile, uh, <laughs> and they didn't go, go inside. And uh, he, this time he feels afraid, and yeah. uh, he make try to make some fire in the night because they come in the ni- ni- uh, night. Yeah. And uh, he, he find lions in the road, say, and uh, many other animals. First, he didn't feel so afraid. Right. He, he had, Slowly, slowly, because he traveled 35 years with a bicycle. 35 years on a bicycle. And then I think you were saying you ran into another guy who was walking? Yes, the second uh, most uh, strange story, uh, listening here, uh, he, it's one guy, so he looks some, if you see the movie, Crocodile Dundee with yeah, the hat. Yeah, 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 he looks same. <laughs> he have one small bucket, and he very long guy. He come from uh, France, and he... Not so very old, 40. He, he had one big business in Morocco. He, something happened with, I don't know, he wanted to sell everything and uh, divorce with the wife and everything. And he, he, he wanted to make the dream he had with a little, little child to walk all the world. Wait, wait, to walk the world? Yeah. And he started in sales, so he had some money to keep yeah. off the business. And uh, he started from Paris, uh, close to Paris to walk down all Europe and come down to Greece. And his, I say, how long time did it take you to come from Paris? Two years, I say. He said it took him two years walking from Paris to your restaurant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> two years. and say, why are you sleeping? And say, I mean, you have one so, so small package. Yeah. Now I sleep in good hotels, I say. <laughs> I don't have a problem with the nights. If you find some small cities, I stay in there and sleeping, <laughs> eat good in restaurants and... Uh, Events uh, and keep walking instead. <laughs> I bet he's still walking. Yeah, he's still walking. Yeah, <laughs> and he stopped sending me some uh, email because uh, I understand he meet many other people and uh, he don't kind of control all, all the people. Uh, and uh, he sent me two years uh, after two years I find him. Wow. He he been close to the Iran down to Afghanistan, Iran. Wait, so from here, from here walking two years to go down to the. <laughs> 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 you understand how many <laughs> countries? <laughs> it's really funny to listen. This is the most strange people I meet. It's really funny to. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so I'm on an early morning flight, uh, 6 o'clock, 6.30, and I'm, I'm taxiing out to the runway, and I'm behind another airline, uh, another aircraft at another airline, and uh, this airline had just gotten some of the uh, Fokker airplanes, uh, the Fokker 100s, and the tower uh, operator was uh, pretty curious about the status of their airplanes, and so he said to the pilot, he said, how many of those uh, Fokkers do you have now? And the uh, airline captain responded. He said, oh, gosh, we've got about a dozen of them now. We're supposed to get several dozen more. He said, really? He said, uh, "He said, yeah. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, we're flying the first one we've ever flown. And the tower operator said, no kidding. That's the first one you guys got? The captain said, sure. He said, we call it the mother. Oh, let's see here. Um, there's a little small town that has the revival meetings at church, and one night they has their meeting every night. And one night, uh, their guest speaker was Vern Stinson, and Vern and Vern he was the only Swedish air ace in World War II. So he gets up and telling his testimonial to the congregation. Of course, the front rows all the little old blue-haired ladies, you know. The preacher introduces him, and he, he says, Well, I'll start telling my story of how I became the only feed of the 8th of World War II. There I was one in the morning. I look over my shoulder, here come me three dirty pokers. They're coming right at me. I roll in the guns are blaring. I think I'm going to die, but I blow them out of the sky. But I look back over to my left, I see another dirty poker coming back around. And every time he says poker, another little old lady passes out in the front row. So the preacher quickly stands up and stops everybody and says, please, please, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's, I'm sure there's a little misunderstanding here that during World War II, one of the most popular aircraft manufactured by the Germans was the Fokker, the Fokker aircraft manufacturers. Isn't that right, Vern? And he goes, yeah, I'll preach it at the right, but these here dirty Fokkers, they were the Messerschmitts. <laughs> ATC will say, like, uh, traffic 12 o'clock, uh, you know, a thousand feet above, it's a uh, Northwest Fokker. And pilots will always say, we got that Fokker in sight. <laughs> it's kind of a joke between ATC and the pilots, and it happens, <laughs> it happens quite a bit. Right, and it was relayed by a captain that I flew with, and he uh, talked about taxiing and getting instructed from an air traffic controller to follow a Fokker on a taxiway and uh, apparently with the different models of Fokers one has a bigger engine and the captain said uh, so are we following the big motor Fokker or the little motor Fokker? <laughs> you gotta hear that one one more time. Right so, and it was relayed by a captain that I flew with and he uh, talked about taxiing and getting instructed from an air traffic controller to follow a Fokker on a taxiway and uh, Apparently, with the different models of Fokers, one has a bigger engine. And the captain said, uh, so are we following the big motor Fokker or the little motor Fokker? <laughs> when I said I was thinking of doing some best of Betty, you know, spotlight for the 100th episode, my nephew, Nikki said, if you're going to do a best of, make sure you do... The drive-by crapping. <laughs> so, Nick, this one's for you. Okay, so you have a story? I do. A flight attendant told me that he flew with a very sweet flight attendant. They went to the layover, and he was signing them in, and she did not wait for them to get all their room keys. She jerked her key right out of his hand. And he was like, whatever. He was like, whatever. So she went up. The next day he come to find out, she said... She was having some gastrointestinal issues, so she went straight to her room, said her bags by the door didn't turn on any lights, went straight to the toilet, and unloaded. She happens to look up, and in the reflection of the mirror, bounce off the mirrored closet, she sees an elderly couple asleep in the bed. So she does not flush. She gets up, grabs her bags, and takes off. Okay, so the moral of that story, what was it? It was a drive-by crapping. <laughs> drive-by crapping. 
I never heard of a drive-by crapping before, but I guess it makes sense, you know, if you all of a sudden saw there were people in the room, you're not going to flush the toilet because you'd wake them up. And then how do you explain why you're in the room and why what you're doing there? <laughs> but what's so funny about that story is, you know, the next morning when they woke up, they're both going to blame each other like, I can't believe you did that. Why? Why would you leave that in there? <laughs> And probably neither of them will believe the other one because who would ever think that, oh, yeah, some stewardess dropped by and went number two and scrammed. <laughs> I'm in Delphi in Greece, and <laughs> I, I haven't seen a rotary phone in so long. And I was guessing that some of my listeners who aren't as old as I am have probably never touched a rotary phone let alone know what it sounds like. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it just a couple of times because for some of you it'll be a blast from the past, and for some of you it'll be like, what the heck is that? I thought it was fun. Yeah, she was a, a large, blondish celebrity uh, who whose weight goes up and down. And she has was married to a very wealthy Texan who passed away. I had them flying um, from New York to Los Angeles. She was with her secretary and her lawyer was in the front, of, sitting in front of her. They were sitting in two first-class seats near our galley. And I remember they were... Um, she came on and... She was wearing a huge fake white fur coat up to her neck, dark glasses, bright makeup, and a large white fake fur hat that matched the coat. And she was sitting there, and the crew was telling me, Keith, oh, I think she has her little dog Sugar Pie with her. Well, I noticed she did not have a little pet carrier with her. And I could not, I said, well, where is the, where is Sugar Pie? And they said, Keith, Sugar Pie is in the coat somewhere in the cleavage. And I said, well, I said, well, I do not see a little dog there. And they said, well, so as I was serving this woman, this person, her beverages, I kept trying to peer down to see if I could see Sugar Pie's face. And I could not. All I know is, when I served this person her steak, they cut it up in very small pieces and were feeding the steak towards her. And, uh, in the coat. In the coat. And then they asked for a little a paper cup for water or beverage that they were using to drink out of. And at the end of the flight, I did see this person in the lounge with the little dog Sugar Pie holding it but she still did not have a little pet carrier for the dog. She had her own carrier. I think so. <laughs> it's the holiday season, and if you're feeling charitable but don't want to spend any money, and if you're going to buy things on Amazon for Christmas presents or anything else on Amazon, if you go to my website, BettyInTheSky.com, and click on the Amazon banners, I also have... um. Amazon UK banners, Amazon Germany. <laughs> so if you're going to do some Christmas shopping on Amazon, if you go through my website, BettyInTheSky.com, click on the Amazon banners. It doesn't cost you any more, but it supports the show. It's kind of a win-win situation. I don't ask, have to ask you. I don't have to try to sell you anything. But if you're going to buy something anyway, you don't pay any more. It supports the show. And this way, hopefully... We'll have another 100 episodes of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. And thank you so much. Now, at the airline that I work for, there is this famous flight attendant. She looked like an older version of Marilyn Monroe. And she was famous for being um, ditzy, I guess you could say, or uh, confused. She was very nice to the passengers, though. And she is now retired. But one of the famous stories. Everybody seems to know the story. She 
would have trouble getting down for, uh, for pickup at the hotel on time. Actually, she had trouble getting anywhere on time. It's amazing. She lasted 30-some years at the airline. But uh, one day, they're picking up in the hotel, and this flight attendant isn't there. And they're all rolling their heads thinking, oh, gosh, here she goes again. So they call up to her room, and she says, I can't come down. I can't find my skirt her uniform skirt. And they're like, what do you mean you can't find your skirt? Because I can't find it. It's not anywhere. I can't, I can't come down, you know, in my pantyhose. So two of the flight attendants went up to her room. They're thinking, oh gosh, what does she mean she can't find her skirt? So they go searching for her room, through her room. And sure enough, they can't find her skirt. Eventually, they found it between the mattresses. She had put it under there to press it overnight and forgot. Don't you worry about this. But one day, again, she's late for pickup at the hotel on a layover. And they're thinking, everybody's thinking, oh, gosh, where is she? So they call up to her room and she said, I've got my curling iron, because she was always very concerned about her appearance, stuck in my hair. And they said, well, cut it out. And she's like, no, no, I'm not going to cut my hair. So she came down with the curling iron stuck in the back of her the neck of her blazer, her uniform blazer, and she worked the entire day with that curling iron sticking out of her uniform because she didn't want to cut her hair. On a sad note, I have to mention, I have to bring up the sad death of the actor Paul Walker, who is most famous for the Fast and the Furious movies. I've brought up the fact before that it's such a strange world and job that I have that, you know, I basically serve the public, but I also get to meet people that most people would just have no reason to ever run across. And I met Paul Walker. I I was on a flight. He was sitting in first class and man, was that a drop dead gorgeous man. And the thing is, he was as nice and sweet as he could have possibly been, he came up. He stood in the galley for, I don't at least a half an hour, just talking. Just talk. I got to just talk with Paul Walker for a half an hour, thinking, boy, that's one special man. And it's not just because he's, you know, drop-dead gorgeous. He's just, he was just a lovely person. And I was just so, so sad to hear that he died in a, in a car crash. And it's so ironic and sad that the thing he's famous for, you know, he's famous for crazy car stunts and, and, he, and he, he dies in, in a car accident. It's also strange that you can get a little uh, weepy over someone, you know, you only spent a half an hour with, but I really, I really enjoyed talking with him. And I really, I love just staring at him. <laughs> he was so handsome. And I also am also just always grateful that I get a chance to, you know, come in contact with these special people that most people, you know, it never run into him in their office building. So, Paul Walker, you'll be missed. Yeah, it was uh, during initial training. Uh, they were doing the um, emergency medical right. portion of the training, and they were on a mock-up of the 767. And the facilitator said to one of the new hires, uh, okay, you walk to the back of the 67 galley, you find a passenger passed out on the floor, unconscious but breathing so the uh, new hire uh, kind of looked perplexed didn't look like she understood you know English so the facilitator again says okay come to the back of a uh, six seven galley you find a passenger passed out unconscious but breathing and so she still looks like she doesn't know anything she's well, you know what's butt breathing <laughs> Interesting. I I sometimes wonder how much I should share on this podcast because I I share a lot. I I you know I tell a lot of stories where I make a fool of myself or <laughs> do something stupid, and I actually kind of enjoy making fun of myself. But you also wonder if, if you if you should share stories where I don't know shows your vulnerability or anyway. I just decided. Oh well, I'm sharing. I'll just continue to share. <laughs> and this is a story where I. I acted like a numbskull. 
I was in Corfu. Corfu is a beautiful island off the northern part of Greece, off of Macedonia. And it's it's known as one of the loveliest islands in Greece. And I did this trip last month. So it was November. So, you know, it's it's not exactly the best time to visit a Greek island because it's winter and it's they get a lot of rain torrential rains but it was still gorgeous but I I was making jokes with myself that I was the only tourist in Corfu because I swear I didn't see another tourist except for uh, the very last day a, a big um, cruise ship came in and then there were a ton of tourists in Corfu but I spent two nights there and for most of the time I was the only tourist in Corfu anyway it rained a lot and you know really does put a damper on sightseeing when it's pouring down rain and this was the day that I was leaving Corfu, and it, it sort of started out dull uh, because it was pouring down rain. And, and I did something I almost never do while I'm traveling is I sort of slept in. I slept till 830. You know, when you're traveling, that's pretty much sleeping in. But I, I knew as I was sleeping, it was pouring down rain. <laughs> so I got up, I had breakfast. I, I, I was leaving that day. I was taking a flight from uh, Corfu to Athens because otherwise... I actually bought a ticket. I was a, a full fare passenger. I mean, it's cheap, little flight, short flight, prop plane. But otherwise, I'd have to take like an eight-hour bus ride, and I didn't want to do that. So anyway, I knew I had a, a plane ride, and I, I had been planning on hiking up to the new fortress because I hadn't I'd seen the old one, but I hadn't seen the new one. But you know, in the pouring down rain, it didn't seem that fun. So. I'd gotten all my packing done and everything, and I sort of was like, "All right, well." Oh, anything else to do. <laughs> so I, I headed out in the torrential deluge. <laughs> but luckily, it did stop when I started hiking up the uh, fortress. So that was good. Stopped raining. And if you've been listening for a while, you know I do these crazy uh, Christmas cards every year. And I just, you know, I'm carrying my Santa hat with me thinking there's going to be a great photo op somewhere. Uh and and I was in Naflio in the Peloponnese. There was this great, uh, they called it Obutsi. Anyway, there was this great, actually it was a prison, but it kind of looked like a beautiful castle out in the water. And I had really wanted to find someone, because I read in the book you could take a boat out there, but because it, it was November and not tourist season, I couldn't find any, I couldn't find anybody in a boat that would take me out there because my thought had been is if I can get on what looks like the little castle in the water, uh, with my Santa hat, I thought maybe I would use the caption from a movie that I love, The Princess Bride. Um, Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> well, I couldn't find anyone to take me out there. And now we were getting towards the end of my trip, and I, I haven't found a Christmas card photo. So that was kind of frustrating because that was one of the chores I wanted to get done on the trip. So I'm hiking up this new fortress, and I get all the way to the top of it, and there's nobody up there. And I'm sort of... Um, shy about taking pictures of myself, you know, they call them selfies, uh, just because it seems, I don't know, weird to be taking pictures of yourself. But since there was nobody up there and there was a view of the old fortress, I thought, all right, so I get the Santa hat, I put it on. I already been soaking wet from the rain, but I put this, you know, furry hat on and I'm taking self pictures of myself <laughs> with the castle in the background thinking maybe I could still salvage that, have fun storming the castle. Quote, anyway, so... I get back to my hotel because I got this flight to come up and, you know, my hair looks horrible because I've been out in the rain, so it was frizzy. And then I had that Santa hat on where I was taking self-portraits, so it looked really bad. And I, I half contemplated taking a shower and washing my hair, but I was staying at this hotel where I had one of those. I, I should have taken a picture of it because I bet a lot of you have never seen a hair dryer that's a hose. It's a hose. <laughs> a literal hose. And it kind of goes... It's just like a gentle breeze. I would have missed my flight if I would have tried to take a shower and blow dry my hair. So, and I thought it doesn't make any difference. I've met almost no one uh, on the Greece trip because uh, there were so few tourists. I talked to a couple from, I talked to maybe three different couples that I met who were fellow travelers, but there weren't that many fellow travelers. And I also didn't meet that many local people. Some trips, I meet a ton of people and it's part of the reason why I love traveling by myself, but this trip really wasn't one of them. So I thought, ah, who cares if I have frizzy Santa hat hair? I haven't been talking to anyone anyway. Who cares? So 
I get to the airport and I'm boarding. It's a prop plane, so we're going up the stairs and uh, I'm boarding from the back of the plane. I go to sit down and there's already somebody sitting, you know, and I was at a window seat and there's already somebody sitting in the aisle seat. And even from the back, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's a tall, dark and handsome Greek man sitting next to me. I was like, what are the chances? Darn, my Santa hat, rain frizzed hair. <laughs> so I'm like, excuse me, he gets up and I sit down and we immediately hit it off. You know, that doesn't happen all that often. Uh, I asked him, oh, you know, are you just going to Athens? Or are you going somewhere else? And he said, oh, I'm going to London. I was like, oh, what are you going to London for? And he's like, I'm going to get experience for my job. And, you know, I, I loved to chat and I really hadn't had much chatting on this trip. So I was like, oh, well, um, what's your job? What are you going to get experience for? And he said, uh, surf. And I was thinking, surf? <laughs> I'd been on the island a couple of days. I didn't see any waves. And how do you make a living surfing in Corfu? And so I'm like, uh, what? And he's like, surf. He's like, um, I said, I I in the water? And he's like, no, 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 no. Food, food, chef, chef. He was with his accent. He was saying chef, but it sounded like surf. <laughs> so we're both laughing. And, uh, you know, it's rare that you sit down next to one, someone and then immediately start belly laughing you know so then uh i asked him if he'd ever been to the united states and he's like oh yeah i went there as a young person uh with a band i went to new york city in 1998 and i'm quickly in my head doing the math if he's a young person in 1998 i think he's a lot younger than me fair to say much younger than me so i asked him well what did you think of the united states and he's like you know what it was like going to another planet. And I thought, well, that's an interesting thing to say, because when I go to Europe, for me, it's kind of like visiting history. And then when he comes to the United States, I could see that that would seem like another planet. So we started talking and I, I, I was bringing up because because I hadn't had that many people to talk to. I was bringing up a lot of questions I'd had along the way because I, I noticed things. I'm very curious. And I was like, um, hey, why do people hang garlic? Uh, like all over Corfu, like all the shops, they'd have garlic hanging in the doorway. Houses would have garlic in the doorway. And I had to ask him, like, is it like, do we believe in vampires? <laughs> he thought that was really funny. He's like, no, 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 they're not Corfu vampires. He's like, it's, uh, it's what... Uh, People believe it, it wards off envy or jealousy or uh, like the evil eye. And he said when he was younger, his, his, his grandmother, before he'd go to school, he wouldn't notice she would slip a, a garlic clove in his pocket in his pants. And I thought, oh, that'd be so weird to just, you know, all of a sudden midway through school realize you have garlic in your pants. <laughs> and you know what? I, I was looking at him and he had these dark eyes and dark hair and uh, full lips, just a really handsome man and I was thinking you know he's like actor handsome not just you know garden variety handsome I mean, we're really talking really handsome so he he reminded me of an actor and I said oh, do you um do you ever watch do you get American TV here and he's like no not not really and I he was like why and I'm like oh because you kind of look like an actor and he's like oh who and I, I thought well it doesn't make any difference if you don't see any American TV he's like no well, well just try me and I was like well have have you ever seen Friends? And he's like, oh, yes, Friends. I know Friends. Who do you think I look like on Friends? And I said, I think you look like Joey. <laughs> and he got a big laugh out of that. He's like, Joey? And I'm like, like a Greek Joey. <laughs> and he was like, a Greek Joey. I really like that. <laughs> so as we're talking, he keeps um, touching his neck, his left neck shoulder area. And so I said, you know, did you hurt yourself? And he said something I didn't understand. And I, I asked him again, and he said something. And I, 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 I didn't want to keep bringing up that, you know, I sometimes had trouble with his accent. So I just was like, oh, yeah, mm, you know, nodding. And he's like, you don't understand, do you? He's like, just, just like when I said surf. <laughs> So we had another belly laugh, but I guess I, I gathered that he had pulled his neck. And, you know, I wondered because lots of times I have something I like to call is like journey pride. Sometimes when you're taking a big trip and he was taking a big trip, from what I could gather, he, he didn't have a place to stay. He didn't have a job. He was 
plan and figure it all out when he got to London, you know, that's stressful. So it's probably why his neck was hurting. So we keep talking and, you know, since he's a chef, I started talking about cooking, if he always wanted to be a chef and, and uh, we got into the fact that he makes his own wine, which that was impressive to me. Can imagine living, he lives like in the country in Corfu and he makes his own wine and he cooks and he was saying that, you know, when you cook at home, it tastes so much better than the Greek food you can get in a restaurant. And I was like, well, why? Because I'd been having some really great food in the restaurants. He's like, well, you know, when you cook it in a restaurant, you're cooking for 100 people. But when you're cooking at home, you know, you're cooking for eight or, or 10 people. And I was thinking, eight or 10 people? So I said, do you have six kids? <laughs> That's the only way I could get to eight. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm single. I'm single. And uh, he's like, you know, I mean, my parents and my sister and her husband and my nephews. Because we were talking about cooking, and I really liked his laugh, and, and I, I love to make people laugh, I, I, I brought up a subject that I don't know if I brought it up on the podcast before, but I lived in that rent control apartment in Santa Monica, and I lived in California for the longest time, and one of the deals with rent control apartment is you, uh, when things break, they don't really fix them that much because they're not making much money on their property, and since you're getting you know such cheap rent, you really can't complain, so my oven was broken forever but you know the burners worked and I had a nice toaster oven and I had a microwave and I, I was fine with I don't need an oven so I, there, when I in LA a lot of people I was well known for you know people a lot of people say oh where you've been traveling to but then there was a certain group of people that every time they would see me they'd say you know is your oven still broken and I'm like yeah and they're like well how, how long is that how long have you had a broken oven and I'd be like eight years <laughs> I'm telling him that I had a, a broken oven for eight years and he was just like mystified. He's like, no oven. I'm like, no, no oven. And I said, and then I'd run into these same flight tenants again and they'd be like, do you have an oven? I'm like, no, no, no oven. They're like, how long has it been? I'd be like 10 years. <laughs> well, he thought that was crazy. And I, I was explaining what now I live in South Carolina and I have a condo and they're brand new appliances, brand spanking new fancy appliances. And uh, I've been here almost three years, and I've used that oven once. <laughs> it just stores pans. He thought that was, he was, that was just nutty. So, you know, we've just been having this really nice conversation, and it's rare. Maybe it's not rare for other people out there, but it's rare when you can really connect with someone. And this is a really, like, 45-minute flight, so now we're already starting down. I'm always on planes. You know, it's my job. I don't think anything of it, but a lot of people have issues with flying, so we're we, we land and people are complaining and he says, uh, I hate this part. And I was like thinking, oh yeah, a lot of people don't like it. You know, it's just, just wait, it doesn't take that long. He's like, no, you don't understand. I hate this part. I, 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 I hate it. And I was like, it's all right. Take a few minutes. I'm thinking, jeez. <laughs> and then he's like, no, no, you, you, you should feel my heart, how fast my heart is beating. He's like, I, I can't get out or something happens. I can't get out. I'm not free. And I realized, oh, you know, he must have like some sort of claustrophobia or something. And it's also funny that you know, he's already really attractive and funny. And sometimes when a tall, dark, and handsome man also shows some sort of vulnerability, you know, that's attractive too. <laughs> anyway, so he he hurried up and skedaddled just as soon as he had a chance because, you know, he's claustrophobic. And I was thinking, oh, you know, that's that. That was fun. Fun talking to a nice, cute Greek man. And I do this thing. I You know, I was a full fare passenger. Uh, I wasn't working for the airline. I wasn't getting a free ride. But I kind of have this thing. If I'm not in a hurry, if I'm not making a connection, you know, for a lot of passengers, they hate the deplaning process and they're in a hurry. So lots of times I just wait and let everybody go. It's just sort of a habit unless I unless I have a quick connection or something I have to do. I, I just let everybody go. So I was basically the last one getting off the plane and I'm walking down the stairs and there's my my cute Greek man waiting at the bottom of the stairs, just smiling at me. He's just waiting for me. I know that's a silly thing. That's why I didn't want to tell this story because I know there are people that'd be like, so you sat next to a cute guy and he waited for you. Big deal. But you know what? It was nice. I, I liked it. And so here he is waiting for me and he's got this big smile on his face Maybe because he's not, you know, he's not confined. His claustrophobia is fine now. And I'm like, look. It, like if it, if it wasn't good enough to sit next to a cute guy and have a bunch of laughs and have him wait for me at the bottom of the plane, there's this giant rainbow, giant rainbow over the airport. I'm like, it's beautiful. Look at this. And he's like, oh yeah, we get a lot of rainbows here because we get a lot of rain and then it, there's sun. And I'm like, yeah, but look how beautiful. And then he was like, I can't really look because he, he couldn't turn his neck. <laughs> so, you know, we're on the bus together. It's like a people mover. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if 
people probably think we're together, but we're not. We're, you know, we're strangers. We just met. So this is the part that I could kick myself for. And, and this is the part where I'm the numbskull. <laughs> this is the part where I'm really stupid. We're walking through the airport to baggage claim. I, I had to pick up a bag because it's a little plane, prop plane. I had to check my bag because I don't have big overhead bins. And he's going on to London. So, you know, we're about to part ways. And we're walking and he says, you know, I'd really like to see you again. You know, I, I'd love to cook for you. Maybe I could cook for you in Corfu. To me, having this really cute Greek man cook for me where he makes his own wine out in the country and, and on a beautiful Greek island, that sounds like heaven. You know, it's, that's heaven. And you know what this numbskull says to him when he says, I'd really like to see you again. I'd like to cook for you. I'd like to cook for you maybe on, on Corfu. You know what I said? Ah, you know, it's really far away. That's what I said. I can't believe that's what came out of my mouth. I think I was thinking, you know, he's young. He lives in another country and, you know, he's so cute. And I don't know why. I was dismissive and I, I, I was flippant and it was rude. Here he is saying, I'd like to see you again. I'd like to cook for you. And I'm like, ugh, you know, it's really far away. Oh, numbskull, stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> so we get to baggage claim and uh, it's time to part ways. And he says, uh, he puts his hands out to the side and he goes, I don't even know your name. <laughs> and, you know, we hadn't introduced ourselves. Here we are laughing, laughing, and we never even introduced ourselves. So I told him my name and I said, well, what's your name? And he said, uh, Joey. <laughs> if I hadn't already liked him, the fact that he was doing a callback, you know, he's making a joke. And I was like, oh, my Greek Joey. <laughs> and he said his name was Theo. Then he just kind of looked me in the eyes and said, you know, I, I wish all the best for you. And I said, I, I wish all the best for you, too. And then he was gone. And, and you know, all I have is his first name. I, I, I can't correct my stupid flippant, ah, you know, it's really far away. I did look up, like, on the Internet, because you can't find most things on the Internet. You know, uh, Chef, Corfu, Theo, <laughs> that's, you know, a first name and a, and a country. It really isn't enough. <laughs> on the L1011. L1011. And they had the two elevators that used to go up and down to the yeah. galley. And whoever cooked the meals was downstairs. And then they would send them up on the elevator when they were cooked. And the elevators were broken. And so they probably should have just said, forget it. There won't be any meals on this you flight. Know, we didn't do that. Didn't you think? No, no there's this. Well, there's always that kind of, you know, let's find a way to make it work. Worked attitude. Yeah. The can-do attitude. <laughs> so there was a trap door. Yeah. In, uh, in front of the elevators and you could open up the trap door and you could get access to the galley through there. You weren't supposed to, but you could. And it was right in the middle of the, the aisle. So they just said, well, <laughs> we'll try and do that this way. We don't yeah, want to all the meals, though. They were going to try to send all the meals up? They were going to try to send, just pass the meals up through the, the <laughs> hole in the floor. <laughs> but, the, you know, they were thinking they were safety conscious, right? So they... They blocked off the area first. They put some blankets and pillows and some seat cushions in front of the aisleway there so that nobody would accidentally step in the hole. And they were doing okay, and they'd been going on. And apparently they got busy and left the hole unattended for a short while. And some drunk, of course, came up and broke through the barricade without realizing it and fell into the hole. (laughs) And, of course... The girl is down there in the, in the galley by herself, and this guy falls in, <laughs> and she's sitting there thinking, oh, my God, we are going to get sued. Oh, God. And they pull this guy up, and he's drunk, and, and he says, oh, thank God, I thought I fell out of the bottom of the airplane. <laughs> well, I was excited because I was visiting this ancient ruin outside of Nafliel called, I, to me it read like Mycenae, <laughs> it's actually Meknes, I don't know, everything, everything, the way it looked and the way it sounded was completely different. So I was just misspelling and mispronouncing everything all over Greece. But I, 
I saw they had this these beehive, these ancient beehive tombs. And since there weren't that many tourists, I went in there and there was this great sound in there. And I thought, I, how perfect. I will record the intro to the 100th episode in this beehive tomb. Beehive tomb. And it sounded great. And I was, I, I thought this, this is really smart. And in, in true Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase podcast fashion, it didn't record. So... I went back. I didn't know it didn't record, but I, I decided I, I was doing some walking around and, and I thought, you know what? I'll go back into that beehive tomb and record the outro. So the outro did record. I just want to do a little intro to the outro because it doesn't make sense because I'm like, I'm back in the beehive tomb <laughs> when you guys never heard me in the beehive tomb to begin with. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm back in the ancient beehive tomb. It's actually called Climentrust Tomb, and it's from 14th century b- before Christ. I thought it was fitting <laughs> to say that's it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time for another 100 episodes of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase so we can travel around this wonderful world together. Thanks. Bye. She's wearing